You are listening to Voces, a Jolt Action political podcast. Jolt Action is the largest Latinx civic engagement organization in Texas, building a movement of young Latinx to transform the Lone Star State. Bienvenidos. Mi nombre es Antonio Arellano, and I lead Jolt Action. On this episode of Voces, we are focusing on the power of music and how Latinx voices and the sounds of our culture have been transforming American culture for generations. And to talk about this, I am joined by Gina Chavez, an Austin, Texas native and an internationally acclaimed Latinx pop artist who is redefining Latin music in the Lone Star State and beyond. Hey, Gina, how are you holding up? Hey, what's going on? It's good to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Listen, I know that you recently launched your first all Spanish album, La Que Manda, and it's been doing great. And I know that it's been a long time coming for you. It's a huge step. So tell me about your journey to Spanish and what that's been like for you. You know, so I grew up here in Austin. I'm half Mexican, half Swiss German, um, but really half like a lot of things. I've got some Celtic and, you know, other pieces on that Swiss German side. Unfortunately, I didn't grow up with my Latin roots. I didn't really grow up. uh, I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. I didn't really grow up being much around my Mexican or even Tex-Mexican heritage or culture. And of course, you know, as, as many people as I've discovered have that same, I don't know, that same experience, right? And it's because our country has a longstanding um, hardship with immigrants, has, you know, in a lot of ways beaten beaten it out of our, our ancestors, right? And so the great thing is that I think there's this whole generation of people like myself who for one reason or another, they tried to, you know, they tried to burn the bushes, but they didn't know we were seeds kind of thing. And, and so that idea that it's still in us, you know, from the time that I was a little kid, like I've always felt so drawn to my Latinx heritage, um, to that part of my, my, my family, um, my history, my sangre. And Anyway, and so I, I feel like in a lot of ways, um, you know, that's why I play bilingual music because I, I love it. And I don't know why I love it because I wasn't really around it as a kid, you know, and at the same time, it's, it's definitely a struggle for me. You know, I'm not a, a native Hispanohablante, right? And so it's taken me so long to learn, especially how to write and music is like poetry. And so in a lot of ways, trying to write in a language that you don't have a full mastery of is really hard. Um, and, and ways to kind of play with the language, right? And so I'm still learning. I think it's a lifelong journey, um, but it's also one that I love. And that's why, you know, so last year I released La Quemanda and here's this album. It's my first album all in Spanish. I've done bilingual music for years, but this is my first all Spanish language album and actually got um, nominated for a Latin Grammy. And wow. so obviously that was like, mind-blowing on so many levels but in a large sense it was mind-blowing because of that very fact that like here's me somebody who's really struggled with imposter syndrome and always like wanted to really be able to fully claim my latinidad and feeling like I can't and then I put out this album and kind of get this big stamp of approval from the Latin music community and so I was like okay okay (laughs) this is this is pretty cool (laughs) 
Well, congratulations on that Latin Grammy nomination. I know that that's incredible. You talk about how music is poetic. And in a lot of your music, I see and hear a voice that proclaims power and demands to be seen and be heard. And, you know, for folks like us, you know, um, that come from mixed backgrounds or have, uh, you know, rich heritage from different parts of Latin America, oftentimes we are forced to feel ashamed of our heritage. And it's, and, you know, it wasn't too long ago in this same country in, in the United States where, you know, speaking Spanish was frowned upon. And now here you are, you know, so many uh, generations later, almost demanding to be recognized and demanding to be seen and heard and to be valued. What is the message, the poetic message that you try to convey through that? You know, it's so interesting um, that those are the messages that you get. It's so in a lot of ways, La Quemanda, as much as it definitely, you know, proclaims really all parts of myself, you know, I, I know we're specifically talking about kind of that Latinx part, but honestly, this is very much an album about not only recognizing, but celebrating all of the parts of myself and in large part being a woman. I love that you're getting these messages of power and kind of proclaiming because I think in a lot of ways, this album is a result of me reckoning with what it means to be a woman in a society that tells women from the time that we're born to be small, to be grateful for anything that we have, to play backseat, not to ask too much. You know, and so, and and it's not just our society. You know, I've actually, I've had the chance to travel around the world with the U.S. State Department. And it's sad, <laughs> quite interesting, but, um, but sad to know that that is one thing that every culture shares, is that when a young girl speaks up, when she's small, when she proclaims herself, when she takes up space, when she asks for more, she is called certain names. And when a young boy does that, he's called a leader. And he's called the future. And he's called our hope. And that is ubiquitous, no matter what language you're speaking. Um, and so in a lot of senses, you know, this album really is me as a woman understanding that in, in my body, in my spirit, and I'm angry, like I'm angry that the world has asked me to be so small, but I'm also really angry at myself for having agreed to it. And, you know, and so I love that you're getting these messages of power because I think in a lot of ways, just like when we put on, you know, put on like your favorite workout playlist or whatever to kind of get you hype, especially when you don't feel hype, right? When you're just like, oh my God, I can't even put my shoes on, you know? <laughs> so it's, in a lot of ways, like I wrote La Quemanda for me to be like my hype record, to be like, I matter, like <laughs> I'm amazing, you know, especially when I don't believe it. But of course, it's also, you know, me proclaiming and, and celebrating who I am as a woman, who I am as um, a halfy, who I am as uh, an activist, as a lesbian, as a Catholic, and all of those parts of myself that may not seem to live very well together, but in fact, they really do and they really can. 
And you're such a unique artist for our times, right? Like in this moment in history, we are seeing such an uprising of, you know, female leadership, um, such an uprising of a, a, a demand to change the status quo and to recognize the voices of people of color, of LGBTQIA folks, of the diversity of our population, and, and to get an equal and fair shake in our society. And I think that in your music, um, you see a lot of this, right? A lot of this 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 shift in society that um, is ushering in a new era of what's possible and what and the opportunity that the future holds for our country. You know, taking it back to another one of your tracks, she persisted. You you say you know uh, they tell us to sit down, they tell us to work hard, they tell us to stop and wait our turn, they tell us to shut up, listen. Nevertheless, we are persistent. Talk to me about what was going through your mind or what what goes through your mind when you give the opportunity to perform this. And what is, again, the underlining message here that is trying to be conveyed to your to your audience? Yeah, so She Persisted was a track. Um, it, we actually wrote it. It was a co-write that I did with a guy from Sweden um, who had come to Austin to this thing called the House of Songs. Um, there are houses of songs um, all over the world, there's maybe a handful of them. One's in like China, one's in Arkansas, one's in Germany, I think. And and the first, the founding one here is here in Austin. And so songwriters from all over the world can come and live in Austin for like a week or two, and then they get paired with local songwriters. This guy, Jens Thorneval, he and I were paired up, and it was two days after Senator uh, you know, Mitch McConnell had silenced Elizabeth Warren on the Senate floor. And she persisted, had erupted into all of these rallying cry and all of these incredible memes of people like showing women persisting throughout history. <laughs> and so I had written, I think it was the, the day that happened, I had written this little piece. And I just had kind of that first line that, you know, says, um, my hands are tied, your hands are too. Now we don't know where to go, don't know what to do. Um, so I think I had like that verse and, you know, I was like, hey, so I've got this, you know, I don't really know what to do with it. But I was wanting to fit, nevertheless, she persisted into a song, which is kind of hard. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of like, A, like she persisted is a weird phrase. Like no one says that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I love that it became a rallying cry, but as far as something that's poetic that like works in a song, especially a kind of a, a, a song that I wanted to be, I don't know, in a lot of sense, it's kind of a, a pop song. It's like, I've been to the Capitol so many times to, you know, scream and fight for our rights, and we're still singing the same music. And I love, you know, all of that wonderful music, like it has a place and it's very powerful, but like, on some sense, I'm like, we need some music that really speaks to us as young people, that speaks to the times and that you could jam at the club or at home or at the Capitol. You know what I mean? And so that was really what I had in mind when I was like, I want to write an anthem for women that speaks to this moment and is something that you can get hyped to no matter where you are. And gents, you know, I love that um, this guy from Sweden kind of got like pulled into this <laughs> and helped me write this anthem for women. Yeah, I mean, I'm really proud of it. And um, actually, since you brought this song up, I will um, I will float out there that there is a remix that is going to drop very soon of this song, hopefully in March. 
So anyway, so that's, I have not told anyone that you are the very first person to know about it. Oh, wow. A Bosa's exclusive. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. We'll be looking out for it. Thank you so much. You know, you're a huge advocate for women. And at Jolt, we are constantly looking for ways to continue to empower young women, particularly young Latinx women in Texas, because we believe that Latinas and Tejas are the future of America. And we believe that their revolutionary way of thinking and leading can really transform um, the halls of power, not just in the Lone Star State, but across our country. What are some of the issues that you are most passionate about when it comes to your advocacy? I know that you're also very passionate about uh, our community. Now that you're seeing you know, a new administration usher in this new era of potential opportunity for change, what are you hopeful for in the future? Well, what I want and what I'm hopeful for may be different things. Uh, <laughs> I will say that, you know, honestly, I feel like this pandemic and this time, uh, it's laid bare so many of the issues that plague our country. But I think one of the biggest ones is is education, is public education. And and the fact that our society clearly relies on public schools because without them like we can't function as a society. And at its very it's it's very basic level, it's because we literally need babysitters to take care of our kids. But obviously like school and education needs to be and must be so much more than that. But we have spent so many years stripping public education of funding, of resources, of any kind of true value that now, you know, the frontline workers, aside from our healthcare, is is teachers. And, and what we're asking them to do is impossible. You know, because here, I mean, there's so many issues to dive into, but to me, it's like painfully obvious that public schools need to be upheld for the value that they hold in our society. And education, you know, I think you can look at any any nation, and when you look at their education system, you can see what path they're going down. And for us, we've been stripping public education and making it so that you know, only the wealthy can actually get a good education, can afford a good education. And that's exactly the path of countries that, you know, where you have 80% of the wealth is in the hands of 20% of the population. That's exactly the way to do it, right? Is when you make education unattainable for everyone. And, And so I think it was like last April when we were all on lockdown, And everybody was like, oh my God, teachers, oh my God, we love you, teachers, 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 teachers. And now, fast forward, not even a year, and everybody's like, teachers need to get back to work. They need to stop complaining. And they just need to like, if restaurant workers can be in a restaurant, then teachers can be in a school. And you're just like, okay, whoa. Like, what What happened? What happened in like eight months that we went from loving teachers to now being like, if you don't get back into the classroom, I can't actually function in my life. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, oh my God, guys, come on. I haven't really been like a huge vocal advocate of the need to fund public education and teachers and really invest, but that is like weighing on my heart so much right now, large and largely in part because my wife is a teacher. She's a public school teacher. She's a basketball coach. And we're living the day in and day out of what it means for her to literally be teaching a class on Zoom 
and kids in person and have all these stipulations where they're like, oh, you should stay home. But then yet they're playing basketball games and they don't have to wear masks. And there's it's just it's crazy town. It's crazy. Voices is made possible by listeners like Tu. Please visit jolttx.org slash donate to help fuel the fight for progressive change in Texas. Now back to Voices. No, that's huge. Absolutely. And you know, it, it impacts really every aspect of our lives, right? We want to make sure that the next generation of folks are well-educated, but also we need to protect our educators to make sure that they are fully supported in all aspects. And right now, given the global pandemic, that means going the extra mile. Gina, I know that you have a unique lived experience in the sense that you talked about this earlier on in the conversation, being a halfie, right? This lived experience that so many of our listeners resonate with. Maybe, you know, I'm Mexican American, but my folks didn't teach me Spanish. And so I don't know Spanish or maybe I know Spanish, but I don't necessarily resonate with banda or like, you know, mariachi is not my thing or, you know, and, and there's it's such a different generation now that is being and it's beautiful and it's to be celebrated because it just speaks to the diversity and the and the and the the spectrum of our community talk to me a little bit about growing up in that ni de aquí ni de allá space you know um and what what those trials and tribulations were like for you so this is a funny story so i come home from middle school i went to lamar middle school here in austin and my mom tells this story i don't remember i think i was in middle school i think it was like sixth grade or something and I'm telling my mom something and I'm like, yeah, well, mom, the, the real Mexican girls, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, the real Mexican girls? Who are the real Mexican girls? <laughs> and I was like, you know, the ones that have like the really big hair and they pull like ginormous uh, cans of hairspray out of their tiny purses. And they just like, <laughs> and then like, <laughs> like that, that was what I thought of as real Mexican girls, apparently when I was like 12, you know? And then I remember, so like Amy's ice cream, I don't know if it was a new flavor or if we had just discovered it, but when my brother and I had discovered Mexican vanilla, we were like, oh, that's us. <laughs> we are Mexican vanilla. <laughs> I I would say that I, I am so blessed. I'm so fortunate because I, I had a great upbringing, you know, and honestly, I, I feel like there's two kinds of people in the world. I feel like there are people who fight the world and there are people who fight themselves. And I fight myself. I mean, the world... From my point of view, the world is amazing to me. And if anything, like I use that as ammo against myself to be like, oh my God, why do people treat me so well when so many other people don't have that experience? Like, why is it that the world is so great to me when others don't know what it is to be loved and supported and have mentors? You know, and of course, that's not a helpful way to look at things because me beating myself up does nothing good for anybody. But I do think that, you know, like in an unhealthy space, I use that to be very bad to myself. But in a healthy space, I say, okay, well, great. I've been given some kind of like, if I have a superpower, maybe it's that people accept me in a way that they may not accept other people or they accept what I say in a way that they may not accept it from other people. So I need to use that platform and use what I have as a way to bring people together, to build bridges, right? Um, to try and like weasel my way into somebody's heart to maybe, maybe change one little thing, right? 
or how somebody sees the world or sees their neighbor. And, you know, I think from, I mean, to kind of get back to your question, like I haven't experienced a whole lot of negativity as related to being Latina. And I think it's because the world does not see me as a Latina. You know what I mean? Like I'm super light skinned. I have freckles. I don't think you, I don't think there's a lot of like Latinos with freckles. <laughs> you know? like, like no one expects me to, to be Latina. Right. And so when I speak Spanish, for instance, people are like, Ay, que te hablas bien. Like they're like a surprise. They're like, Oh wow. Like you shouldn't even speak Spanish and you speak Spanish. Whereas my wife, you know, she's like pura Mexicana has a lot of even very like uh, Native American characteristics. And like, she looks very, very Latina and has of course this beautiful skin and like, I mean, all of this. Right. But, but she looks like she quote should speak Spanish. Well, we're probably about the same level of Spanish. Right. And so when we go to El Salvador, for instance, and we did some mission work down there for about a year, and that was exactly how they treated us was it was like me they were like ah they were like Gina you're so amazing cuz you look like a you know like you look like an extranjera and you speak so well and they're like ah que te hablas bien and i was like the golden child and Jody they were like pero por qué no hablas like they were just like why don't you speak spanish right and i don't want that like for me i'm just like this is so frustrating like it's so frustrating that with us just literally entering a room there's suddenly like I'm put on a pedestal and she's put under the dirt or something, you know? And I'm just like, this is, it's so frustrating, you know? And at the same time, like you can't change that about the world and about people. So what do you do with it? Right. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of like, fortunately, like I don't have a lot of negative stories, like from my perspective, but I know that it's out there and it's so frustrating. And you're right that it's like, we've gone from shaming people to, like don't speak Spanish, you're shamed to now like, oh, you're now bringing shame upon our community because you don't speak Spanish, right? It's an interesting, it's an interesting divide. But, you know, I would venture to say that, you know, little by little, we can make progress and begin to shatter some of those preconceived opinions and some of those expectations. And for those folks who are listening to this, who are not Mexican enough for their Mexican family members in Mexico, but and not American enough for their, you know, cousins here in the States. You're Latino enough, period, and Latina enough, period, and Latinx enough, period, as you are, and you should celebrate it and embrace it. You know, maybe it's with hot Cheetos and salsa, and maybe it's not, you know, and then that's okay too, you know? Um, but I think that it's important that as we move forward as a society, we begin to recognize that we're evolving and we're changing and, um, and, you know, linguistically and culturally, uh, we can continue to harness all the brilliance of our culture, but take it to a new, a new level and begin to embrace people as they are. And, you know, in another layer that you have as well, as a member of the LGBTQ family, we also need to make sure that we start having that conversation as Latinx folks about welcoming, being more welcoming and being more okay with having conversations about uh, queer identifying folks, gender non-conforming folks within our community and, and becoming a society that where that is not out of the question where it's normal and it's okay and it's totally fine and it's, and it's okay to be celebrated, right? So Gina, you've been blazing trails in Texas and we all love you and respect you so much here in the States. And we know that you're going to be a huge 
global phenomenon soon, and you're already well on your way to making a lasting legacy. But what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? You know, I think it, I think it really is just building bridges. You know, obviously before the pandemic, I spent much, much of my time on the road playing and um, I would li- literally be on planes and in rental cars and Airbnbs basically every Wednesday through Sunday. I was flying somewhere, playing, you know, a few shows in a different part of the States, coming back home for a few days, flying out again, like, you know, which was very hard. And the most rewarding thing about it I, you know, I do love performing, but it's gotten to the point where I've performed enough that there are definitely nights where I'm like, okay, like (laughs) don't want to get on stage. Right. And then of course I get on stage and I have a great time, but the best part comes after the show, you know, and and a lot of times I've played in, gosh, like really off the beaten path places, like the middle of nowhere, Iowa in like a school library, a theater in the panhandle of Nebraska, in Alexandria, Louisiana, in a bed and breakfast town in North Carolina. And I get on the stage and I sing my songs that are bilingual and I share my story of being Catholic and lesbian, of going to my church and holding my wife's hand in mass and sharing those stories of what it what it means to love my faith and love my wife and that that's possible within one heart. And the the amazing part is that a people don't walk out, <laughs> you know, like I'm always kind of like, okay, like what's going to happen, you know, but the bigger part is that people come up to me and they oftentimes they're just like, wow, thank you. Like we don't get, we don't get that message here. We don't hear music like this here or Latinos that have come out of the woodwork and they're just like, oh my God, I haven't heard Latin music in so long. And, you know, my family moved from Mexico generations ago and we've been here in Wisconsin and like, you know, whatever, right? Or, oh my gosh, I grew up on the border in Texas and I didn't grow up speaking Spanish either. And now I want to learn about my culture and your music feels like home and like a breath of fresh air or, you know, and it's like validating everybody's kind of existence, that we're all okay. Just like you said, it's like your story matters because it's your story. Not because it looks like somebody else's, but precisely because it doesn't. You know, I, I remember this this one particular moment when I was in this uh, bed and breakfast town in North Carolina. And there was a, a teenage kid who comes up to me after the show. And he had been helping the sound guy. He was like a, like a, one of the sound techs. And he comes up to me after the show in the dressing room and he just points his phone at me. He holds out his phone and on it, like on a note, he's written, I'm gay too. And like, he couldn't even say the words, you know, but he wanted to share it with me. And, you know, I knew that I get to get on stage and share my story, but then I get to leave like I don't ha- I don't have to I'm not living there in that bed and breakfast community. I don't know what it's like to go to his home. I I have no idea his experience, but just the fact that he wanted to share it and couldn't even do it with his voice means something to me. That representation matters. Even though I don't look exactly like this kid, right? 
but that our experiences matter and that by sharing our own stories, we empower others to embrace and share their own. And that would be my desire for my legacy to help other people embrace and celebrate and share their own stories. Gina Chavez, transforming American culture one song at a time. Thank you so much for joining us. This episode of Voices was recorded at our Jolt Action headquarters in Houston, Texas. We drop new episodes of Voices every other week on Wednesdays. If you like our content, please be sure to subscribe and share. Learn more about our mission to empower the Latinx community in Texas and find out how you can get involved at joltx.org. That's J-O-L-T-T-X dot O-R-G.